Jessica and Robert LaBella's daughter, Anna, was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma on July 8th of 2019 when she was nine years old. On today's podcast, Jessica will talk about what Anna went through as after her first year of treatment, she went into remission for seven months in June of 2020, only to be followed by a relapse that took place in February of 2021. Anna's relapse eventually led to her passing on August 2nd of 2022, which is exactly six months to the day that this podcast is being published. I gave Anna the nickname The Giver during our podcast as she was able to give back to other pediatric cancer patients even when she herself was in pain and undergoing treatment. Anna started Anna's Sunflower Warriors, which is now being turned into a 501c3 nonprofit and which will keep Anna's legacy alive for many years to come. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Sounds good. It is now my pleasure to introduce Jessica LaBella to my audience and welcome her to my podcast. Thank you very much for joining me. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Now, First we're podcast here. I've ever done. Well, uh, I, I hope that uh, uh, I am uh, do a good enough job to make you happy that you did <laughs> it. Uh, and I'm sure you'll do a great I job. I am sure. I'm sure it will. Now, we're here to talk about uh, your daughter, uh, Ariana, or I think she's probably better known as Anna. And Anna. Anna. Okay. I apologize for the mis- mispronunciation. It, um, it keeps, it still happens to this day. It's okay. I always tell everyone it's pronounced Anna from Frozen. That's oh. why we had it. We, she was five when the Frozen movie came out um, and she fell in love with it. She wanted to be called Elsa, um, but we, we compromised. So we started, instead of calling her Ariana, we started calling her Anna. Well, it's a beautiful name. My first question about Anna is for the first eight plus years of her life, did she have good health and was she living the life of a normal uh, eight-year-old uh, at the time? Yeah, 100%. Uh, the, the only thing that we've ever had health-wise um, prior to this was um, at nine months old, she had a fibro seizure. Um, other than that, it you know, her normal, you know, normal kid, you know, only hospital visits were clumsy, you know, she fell off the playground or this or that and stuff, general, general sicknesses. So she was a normal kid. Now, I guess what will really start the podcast by going back more than three and a half years to the late spring uh, and perhaps summer of 2019. Did you notice anything at that time? that might've set any alarm bells off uh, for you and your husband, Robert? Um, not necessarily. So the way we found out about her cancer, um, we were initially the first time we were at a camp, we go camping and she was, she was limping, um, but she had just got off a uh, softball season and she had fallen at one point. So we thought maybe she just hurt her leg. Um, from that 
And, you know, or, you know, parents always say growing pains, you know, maybe she was just having some growing pain. So she was limping a little bit and it just, it seemed to get worse. Um, and then we made the choice to, to go have it checked. So you, so you took her to her pediatrician, I, I would imagine. And did you have any, I mean, obviously you saw her limping, uh, my guess is that you thought it would be a problem that would be uh, diagnosed and corrected uh, fairly easily. What did the pediatrician say when uh, he saw Anna? We actually um, took her to urgent care. Uh, we we went to the day before to a water park. Uh, we took the kids to a water park. And throughout the night, she was just in our bedroom agonizing in pain. Um, so that morning, I had told my husband, I said, take her to the hospital, go take her, get checked. Um, you know, I had, I have a younger son. Um, and I said, I'll stay, I'll stay home with him. You take her, you know, uh, the most we thought was a pulled muscle, you know, strained muscle stuff. I said, well, go get it checked. Um, they did one x-ray and the mass on her pelvic bone was so large. They immediately rushed us to Albany medical center. Um, it was, days of testing and stuff. So her, so her doctor initially, you know, obviously they try to give you, you know, the good and the bad. They said, you know, it might be just an infection in her pelvic area or it could possibly this. Um, so we prepared for the worst and we found out in Albany, um, it was like a weekend. So of course, you know, it was agonizing couple of days. So after a bunch of testing, um, actually her main doctor, in Albany, she came in before the test results because she, you know, is an expertise at this. And she told me straight out, she's like, you know, I, I hate to tell you, but this is what I believe it is. Um, you know, and she said, it's going to be a long, hard road, but we'll get you through it. Okay. So before this happened, had either you or Robert ever known a family that had had a child with any type of pediatric cancer, let alone a a very uh, rare form of bone cancer, uh, of which uh, Ewing sarcoma was the diagnosis that Anna had received. No, um, the closest that we've ever dealt, uh, me personally, um, I had is I work for our high school. Um, I'm a teacher aide there, and our principal at the time, her, his daughter, a couple years back, they had thought she had Ewing sarcoma. Um, thankfully, she didn't, but you know that was the only time I've ever really heard of that. Um, I had no idea. I mean, you hear of the normal like leukemia and all that stuff, but I, I did not even know what Ewing sarcoma was. I didn't even know it was a thing. Well, uh, you know, you go on a camping trip and you're having, a, hoping you're having a good time. Your daughter's limping. Then she gets home. Then she's in agony. And all of a sudden she has Ewing sarcoma, which uh, is just an unfathomable thing to he to hear. But you're, but her doctor said, we're going to get her through this. And you said that she'd had a lot of expertise in this field. So did that immediately put you at ease and say to yourself, okay, she's got a tough situation, but uh, her doctor thinks or says that it's going to be okay. Yes. I, I took the advice from the doctor from the beginning. She said, don't Google anything. Don't look anything up. 
I didn't. Um, I stayed focused on what the doctors were telling me. Um, in the beginning, you know, it was it was localized. It was in her pelvic area. Uh, you know, through treatment, she was responding well. Uh, so I was hopeful, and I stuck by what the doctor was saying. Um, I wasn't fully aware of the potential outcome and the gravity of Ewing sarcoma because, like I said, I did not research it. I did not want to have that in the back of my mind. I wanted to focus on my child and, you know, just get her through day by day. And I didn't want her to know potential outcomes, just the fact of, okay, this is what you have. This is what we have to do to get, to get you to the other side. Let's, let's just focus day by day. Now you live in a small town. uh, I believe it's Northwest maybe of Albany called Mohawk. Um, it's about 250 miles from New York City. Did you go to the Albany uh, Medical Center for her treatment, or did they send you uh, to another facility? Uh, no, we stuck right with Albany. Um, we did get a second opinion at one point. We went to Boston. Um, we went to Dana Farber's out there uh, for a second opinion, just you know, to make sure we did everything we could as parents to to do everything we could for our child. Uh, but mostly, everything stuck right with. Um, Albany Medical Center. Um, we were looking at clinical trials, trying to get into some of them in this city um, that was supposed to, you know, be there at the end, but we didn't make it. Now, can you talk about the first part of honest treatment lasted nearly a year as far as what the protocol was and how she handled it? So Ewing sarcoma is a very aggressive bone cancer. And obviously, of course, you have to be very aggressive with the chemo. Uh, So chemo was a lot. They would, um, she would have a a regimen where she would go one week, she would go outpatient for two days. And then the following week, she would go outpatient for three days. And then the following week, she would go inpatient and have five straight days of chemo. And then she would have a week off to recover her counts and then start again. Um, and that went on for almost a year. And then um, she had radiation that went for six six weeks, every day for six straight weeks. So certainly a difficult uh, situation for her, but she handled it okay? Or were there moments that were really tough for her? She the first, The first course, the first year that we went through it, she had, um, our main thing was her counts, you know, her blood levels would be low, her platelets would be low. So she had a lot of transfusions, uh, a lot of platelet transfusions, a lot of blood transfusions. We used to joke with her that the blood in her body wasn't even hers. Um, you know, she, in the beginning she did, you know, from chemo, get the normal nausea, sleepiness. Um, but with the doctor's help and the nurses, we did find a regimen of nausea medication that did eventually help her with that. Um, so she didn't really have, other than her count always being low, too many major complications. A uh, couple of times, you know, she went neutropenic, which was, you know, there's her counts were so low, she got sick and her body can't. So she would go into the hospital a lot. So she spent a lot of time in the hospital the first year, uh, but nothing too, too major, just normal, what you would expect from chemo treatment and radiation. Radiation, she did, you know, she was good you know she 
had, you know, the third degree burn that she, you know, we took care of on her pelvic area and stuff. So we, we got through it, I guess at a pretty easy state, you know, just dealt with the, you know, the normal side effects. So not too, 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 too bad. Well, the good news at that time was that on June 16th of 2020, you, Robert and Anna received the great news that she showed no evidence of disease. That period of time lasted roughly seven months. My question is, for those seven months, did she was she able to return uh, to a life of normalcy and have enjoyment uh, as any uh, normal child would? And how were you and Robert feeling during that period? We, she did. She went right back to her normal life, normal, you know, she went back to normal school. She was able to, for the most part, um, do normal activities. We did have to limit some physical activities in terms of, you know, her pelvic had gotten so weak from all the radiation that one good fall, she could shatter her pelvic bone. Um, So other than normal physical activity, um, you know, we got her back to normal life. She got to play softball again. Um, they just had a, a pitch runner for her. And she, she, she said from the beginning, all I want to do is get back to playing softball. And she played softball. Um, you know, she, she was having fun doing, you know, hanging with her friends, making, you know, going shopping and just being a kid again. Uh, me and my husband, we, um, you know, we, we got back to normal life, semi-normal life, I guess, whatever, how you would say, but always had that fear um, of what ifs. And, but we tried not to let it affect us because we wanted to show her positivity and let her know that, you know, there's nothing wrong. You could, you know, you're fine. Just be a kid. So that's what we tried to do. You know, I went back to work. My husband, he was he's the main provider, so he stayed at work consistently through the whole thing. But I did. I went back to work. I started doing normal, normal life things, uh, taking her to birthday parties and sports games and dances, all of the normal stuff for her age. Fortunately, in February of 2021, Anna suffered a relapse. Was this something that you and Robert saw coming? Uh, in other words, did her behavior change? Did did she complain about anything health wise, or did it come as a surprise in that it might have uh, occurred during a scan or just a uh, regular appointment? We noticed that she was complaining of knee pains. Uh, she was starting to limp a little bit. And my husband had told the doctor, something's going on. We need to have it scanned, um, which we did. Uh, and at that point, the scans did show very little, you know, little results that she had to go in and have bone grafts done. So they, uh, they you know, went in and they did surgery on her knee, on her uh, tibula bone, where they, they took a chunk of her bone out. Um, and had it sent to pathology for testing. And from there, we did find out her cancer had returned. Now, what did Anna's doctors say to you uh, after the relapse occurred? 
um, about how the relapse was going to be handled. And were they still optimistic that the relapse uh, uh, would be handled properly and that they were still confident of a good outcome? They obviously told us we would start treatment again. Um, there was new chemo regimens. You know, for me, I was confused. I was like, well, why can't we just use the same chemo? Because that did its job the first time. But I guess that's not how it works. Um, it's all learning experience for parents. You know, we don't know what to expect. And the the her doctor was very honest with us and told us, you know, with Ewing's, with relapse, the percentage of survival is lessened. Um, and then that's where we said, okay, let's get a second opinion. And that's when we did go to Boston and they told us the same that, you know, because of the time frame from her first diagnosis, from when she became NED and relapsed, the time frame was too short. Um, and then the, you know, her, what could possibly be, you know, her statistics, but I, I guess I refused to believe that as, you know, or I was saying that my child was going to be the, you know, she was going to fall in the other category because I didn't want to. So I just, you know, I, I kept my head forward. I kept doing, you know, I was like, all right, we're just going to do the chemo, what the doctor says and, and go from there. And just always try to stay optimistic about everything and just stay faithful. The doctors at uh, Dana Farber and Children's Hospital were they satisfied with what the protocol was then going to be for Anna, or was there any thought in your mind, knowing the reputation of uh, of Dana Farber and Children's, that maybe she would uh, go there for treatment? No, they told me straight out everything that her doctor was doing in Albany was a hundred percent what they would have been doing as well. Um, and to, unfortunately, with Ewing sarcoma, there is not a lot of options. Uh, so any hospital you go to, no matter, you know, where it is in the country, or they're going to have the same regimen as treatment um, as any other, other kid with Ewing sarcoma. The only thing we were hopeful for was clinical trials. Um, but at that point, there was no successful stage two clinical trials in the works at that particular moment. Now, Anna's fight with Ewing sarcoma lasted a little more than three years. And of course she had relapsed in February of 2021. How was, uh, how did she do um, health wise as far as being able to go back to school uh, after she relapsed, uh, do some of the things that she had done before or was it a situation where she was in the hospital a good amount of that time? The the second time around, we had a lot more complications um, through from the chemo meds. Um, you know, the first the first one obviously it wasn't working, and it continued to spread. Um, she had gotten tumors on her her arm, you know, more on her leg. She had one on her skull. Uh, you know, she would have, she, there was one point where we were hospitalized because her eye just swelled, um, shut and we had no reason on why. So they, you know, we were hospitalized for that for quite a bit for testing, you know, cause obviously we thought it was from the tumor on her skull. 
Um, and then another uh, side effect that she had gotten from one of the chemos is she had uh, a mat, a blood clot mass grow in her bladder um, that at one point blocked her from being able to go to the bathroom um, to where I had to rush her to Albany and they had to catheterize her. Um, you know, and she had that catheter in, I remember it was through our Thanksgiving break. Uh, and we were in and out of the hospital because the blockage was getting, you know, worse and it was causing too much pain on her that we ended up, she ended up having to go have surgery for that to remove that. Uh, we were in, we had gone to taking her to Disney and she was, you know, she had fun, but she was wheelchair bound. She was having a lot of pain come back to find out that the whole time a tumor on her tibula bone was causing her tibula bone to crack. So she, you know, had severe pain. Um, you know, it was harder for her to walk and to move around. And, you know, she hated to go to school because she would either have to be on crutches or in a wheelchair. And, you know, so she did a lot more homeschool and that, you know, that was hard for her because she wanted to see her friends. Um, but at the same point, she didn't want to go to school with, you know, help from crutches. So it became, it became a lot for her. The second course just, it was rough on her. I'd like to ask about the support that you got from your community. You would, you've been, you were born in the uh, same town and lived there all your life. Obviously you had family there, people that you've known for many, many years. What was the support like? And I'm going to include that to add that uh, the kids at um, the middle school that uh, Jarvis Middle School, where uh, Honor attended, uh, did a walk for her, and which yeah. raised enough money to send her by an RV to Disney World. Uh, so they were also involved. So, so what was that like for you, and how did it help get you through what must have been obviously a very difficult period? Yeah. It was, you know, in the beginning, it's, you know, I'm like, everyone's wanting to help. And I'm just like, no, it's, you know, it's, it's my kid, you know, I have to do for my kid. But my community just they rallied around us like no other, whether it was providing meals, gift cards for gas, because the, the drive from where I lived to Honest Hospital was an hour and a half each one way, you know, or just being there to talk to knowing that, you know, the school always had her back, you know, she never had to worry about being afraid of what her appearance was, what she looked like, knowing that people would judge her. She would, that was the most, me, knowing that she could go to school and be comfortable in her own skin. And, you know, all the things from parades to fundraisers from our community, it, it was amazing. And I was, you know, thinking, okay, this is what all communities do for these kids and going to Albany and meeting these different parents and hearing their stories. It made me appreciate my small community because they don't all get that. Um, and still to this day, I still have, you know, checking up on us, making sure we're okay, just always doing for us. And, you know, they, they all talk that on a broader community together. Um, she single-handedly brought everyone together back to what it was back in the, my father's says back in the old days. Um, and I'm, I'm so thrilled to be part of this community and 
you know, my husband always joked he wanted to move away and wanted to go someplace bigger. And after all of this, I would never, I call us the Hallmark town. Um, you know, that's how I explained our town. It's, you know, you go to our local stewards to get coffee and everyone's like, Hey, you know, you know, everyone, Every, you know, you walk down the streets and cause just everyone knows each other and we're all there for each other, you know, through the hard times. And it's, it's amazing. And I'll never, <laughs> I'll never leave this community now. Well, you, so, and it's, it's, it's cute. You certainly were in the right place uh, to to have to go through this. Now, I'm going to give Anna a middle name as I ask about Anna the Giver, and I'm gonna, and that's in quotes. She's she was almost always thinking about other kids who were suffering from whatever form of pediatric cancer they were going through. Now, the first sign of this uh, that I read was that her teacher made her a chemo bag which she liked so much that she, along with other uh, hospital uh, people, made 50 of them. Can you talk about that? So she explained, you know, she, we were talking to her doctor and we were saying how she got a chemo bag and how we had to explain what it was to her and about how she expressed she wanted to make her own. And her doctor had said, well, I have a bunch of medical residents who have leftover funding. How about I send them, you know, it was one of her five days that she was in the hospital and patient for five days. She goes, how about I send them? You give them a list of things that you want in this chemo bag and we will make it happen. And she was so excited. So they came in, she gave them the list and they have a gathering room in her hospital for families to, you know, uh, this is pre-COVID days uh, to come together. And, you know, and I remember they had it all spread out and all the drawstring bags and all the things that she wanted. And they made this huge pizza party for her. And we spent that afternoon making chemo bags and they called it, she called it on a strong chemo bags. Um, you know, things of that she just came up with and fun stuff that she, you know, wanted to put in, you know, and then they gave them to, you know, all the kids, new kids coming in um, for it. And it just escalated from there. She just, she got so much enjoyment out of that. And, you know, and I have pictures of her in that room, chemo hung with the hospital pole, you know, her hair is falling out, but the biggest smile on her face, because when all was said and done, if she was doing for others, that's truly where she was happy. That's what she enjoyed. Oh, Even that. though she was probably so yeah. sick or in pain, she, she made it through. Well, there are other examples that we're going to talk about that certainly prove that. Can you remember what were some of the essentials that were in the chemo bag? So that time slime, she was very big into slime. So each kid, you know, she had to have slime because it was like, a, that was before the, all the fidget. Slime was like the first fidget I, I joked. So slime, um, uh, throat, she would get mouth sores from one of her chemos. So she had a, a specific mouthwash, you know, that would help mouth sores or specific toothpaste uh, she had in there, coloring books, uh, there's certain chapsticks that she wanted, candies, uh, crossword books, you name it, she was putting in there. But her big thing is she, she enjoyed was the slime. Well, I'm sure the other kids enjoyed it as well. Now, uh, Anna then started to raise money herself. And during the holidays, she provided fellow patients with gifts. When she was impatient, 
at the hospital. She brought doctors, nurses, snacks, and goodies to thank them. How was she able to raise the money? And what did this mean to her caregivers and the other patients? She, we raised it through Facebook. Uh, we would create a Facebook fundraiser and people would donate. Um, she first, the first time she bought toys was from Christmas money that she had gotten for Christmas that year. Uh, she went out and went and bought things for, it, it started with the outpatient. So when a child, you know, a lot of people don't know when a child goes for outpatient chemo, they don't have to stay in the hospital. It's just for the day. But they're there for hours upon hours getting this chemo. Sometimes they could be there for six hours at a time. Uh, so she wanted to get crafty things, things for them to keep them busy, not just like normal baby doll, you know, you know, art craft stuff. So she bought. So it started with that. Um, and then it was it was something that her and my husband, when she was inpatient, they would start every night. They would go down. So there was a, a Dunkin' Donuts in the hospital. She would go down and she would get donuts. She well, she would go around and ask each nurse and doctor what their request was for donuts. And then her and my husband at night would go down and get them all donuts. And then from there, we just started. If we would be impatient, we would pack snacks. You know, potato chips, candy, cereal bars, pop tarts, a, a variety of things for you know for the doctors and nurses, and we would set it up on the table and every time a different nurse or, you know, a resident would come in, we'd like, that's for you help yourself. And they were astounded by it. And Anna said, she's like, I'm surprised that they don't get more of this, you know, and we talked about it, you know, we said, it's these people bust their butt to save our children. You know, they're going on little sleep. They're throughout the night. They're, they're working hard. The least we could do, is give them a couple snacks. So we started bringing that, you know, we started in, so the nurses would come also too. And if like any of the kids in the, the rooms wanted something that, you know, cause they couldn't go in each other's room, the nurses, you know, would bounce back into Anna's room and stuff like that. And it became a thing to where they would get excited when they would see us on the list of upcoming inpatient because they knew they were going to get fed and they were going to get snacks. And then she, we would start bringing that stuff for when she would outpatient and her, her social worker would bring her this little cart and we would just put it on the little cart and put it right outside her door while she was doing outpatient for, you know, those nurses as well. Um, and for the kids. And then one day the social worker was telling us, she's like, I got a funny story to tell you. She's like a little boy came in and he was like, where's that candy cart? I want candy. And I had to tell them that a family brings it, that it's not here normally. And on his wheel started turning. And from there we came up with her candy cart where it would stay in the hall at all times. And we would work to keep it full of goodies, goodies for the kids, you know, chips, candy, drinks, all of it. So we're going on almost two years of having this candy cart. And what we get told from other parents it, may, it that makes it all worthwhile. You know, they're telling us how our, their kids look forward to it, how it's a lifesaver, you know, because it's not like a normal, you know, you take a kid to the hospital, they don't know what they're going to expect. These kids, they know what they're in for. They're going to get needles. They're going to get poked. They're going to get prodded. They're going to get medication that leaves weird taste in their mouth. They're going, you know, so 
this is something for them to look forward to that they have candy that they can put in their mouth to take the taste away. They have, you know, snacks for when, you know, they can finally eat because, you know, they might've been told they can't eat for some kind of procedure. Then they're like, okay, you can eat. And then boom, there's a snack from. So it's just, it's really become a blessing for all these parents. They tell me, and I love it to death. And, and again, it's, it's fundraising through Facebook. It's Amazon wish list that we've, you know, on a created where people can go on and order stuff and have it shipped right to our house. So, and that's how we keep that all stocked. The, uh, well, of course, what Anna didn't know at the time was that this was going to be one of the things that would begin to create which what is an amazing uh, legacy because she right away when that that kid didn't find Anna the uh, she said well we're going to do something about this and uh, yep. really really quite amazing now unfortunately Anna passed away on August second of two thousand twenty two at the age of twelve not even six months ago from uh, when we we're recording this podcast I found out about Anna and yourself on Facebook when you were posting that you wanted to make what is known as uh, on a sunflower warriors uh, that she started into a 501 C uh, C three nonprofit. How important would this be to Anna knowing that what she started is going to grow and be there for many years uh, for uh, uh, these sick kids um, uh, to help them as much as possible. She would be for it. I know she's looking down and she's smiling and she's, she's proud. Um, when she started it, you know, she came up with on sunflowers, obviously because her name and um, sunflowers is the symbol for you in circle. Um, so that's how we came up with that name. Uh, she started, you know, that initially just by, you know, she wanted a name for it. Uh, she wanted a logo. She wanted, you know, and she would do, you know, it was her way of sending care packages and she would write on a sunflower warriors all over the box or decorate it with sunflowers. Uh, but the funny thing is we had asked her prior, do you want to make it a non 501 profit? And she had said no initially, um, because obviously with a 501, you need board members. You have people tell, and she's like, I don't want someone telling me what I can and cannot do <laughs> or how I can, you know, help people. And we said, that's fine. You know, it was, it was small. It was just something for her to keep herself busy, to keep herself smiling, going through what everything she was going through. So we let her dictate that off. Um, and then I kept it going. Obviously I said, I'm not going to give up on her candy cart. Um, I'm not going to give up uh, a big uh, fundraiser for us is Christmas time. So this Christmas, you know, I continued fundraising. Um, we started, I don't like to do things outside of the box in terms of giving that she would notice that weren't done. Uh, last Christmas, she said, you know, I want to do gingerbread houses, the kits. Uh, she's like, I want to give gingerbread houses. So we, we collected and we got tons and tons of gingerbread houses to donate to the hospital. Cause she said those page, those kids who had to be inpatient for Christmas time, or even who were getting outpatient chemo, let them have, you know, some normalcy, some Christmas tradition, let them do gingerbread house. And it was a hit. Uh, so obviously this Christmas I said, you know, to my husband, I have to do it. I have to continue on. And the support we got was amazing that we were able to, we adopted seven families in our community, which in total were, I think um, was 17 kids in total. And each 
ranged from seven to 10 presents each. Um, we were able to do it, you know, to give back to our community. We were able to donate to the Salvation Army um, Christmas fundraiser that they do, as well as continue to donate all the gingerbread houses that we did, plus um, gift cards to um, the Melody Center Hospital where she got, and also to the Ronald McDonald House, gingerbread kits to the Ronald McDonald House that we uh, stayed at as well. Um, and then I just... I was having a day, you know, like I said, my days are good and some days are bad. And I was having a really, really bad day one day. Uh, just everything triggered me nonstop crying throughout that whole day. My husband's cousin called him and said he bought the Honest Sunflower Warriors domain website. If we ever decided to make it an actual nonprofit. And I said, I think that was on his way to guide me to do it. Uh, so, you know, I talked to my husband and I just, I know it's going to be, we can get more support for the hospital and for, to give back to our community. Um, my main thing I want to do is start on a scholarship fund for our local high school. Um, I want to be and be able to do that. And I know she would love that, you know, knowing she, I'm, she's giving back to her peers that have always stuck beside her. And also just to, you know, keep her name out there. You know, as a parent who loses a child, you always are concerned that your child's going to be forgotten by others. Um, but I, I, and I know, you know, Anna's touched so many lives in our community that I know it won't happen, but I know this will help keep it going and just keep her name and her legacy and everything she stood for in our community and how she was just going forward. I will guarantee you that her name will never be forgotten. And as I said, the legacy that, that she had started, had, and uh, uh, it, it's going to continue um, to grow uh, every year. Now, on February 11th, which is only nine days from when this podcast is going to be published on February 2nd, you're going to host your first bowling tournament. Yep. called the no tap tournament can you talk about that event so i actually didn't know what no tap wet was so um <laughs> my cousin uh husband's cousin ryan who actually is his family is very big into bowling and they're the ones who um with their their partners and at the the bowling alley started this and asked my permission if they could host it uh you know put it together i guess no tap is there's you only need eight pins to get a strike um it's they want to raise money to help keep the funds going for her candy cart to keep that stocked throughout the year and other, you know, I would like to give other um, Easter coming up Valentine's day, be able to do maybe like some gift bags and stuff like that. And then also too, um, obviously with starting a 501c, you need lawyer representation. So we need money to pay for lawyers uh, to help with that. Cause I want to do, make sure everything is, you know, legalized and, I know all all I have to know to keep this going. Um, so we're looking forward to it. We're going to have a big Chinese auction and do the bowling. And just it'll be a fun day of celebration of Anna. 
it's going to be a great day uh, in in her honor. Now, are there other events that you're kind of at least brainstorming about that say, well, maybe we'd like to do this in the summer or, uh, you know, something that we also want to start. And before you know it, of course, if that happens, you'll have this event and that event and another event and yeah. <laughs> you'll be, you'll be uh, making quite a bit of money. Uh, in, in her yeah. honor, No question. Yes. Yes. The more money, the bigger scholarships, the more, you know, gifts we can give out. Um, we are doing a motorcycle ride August 26th. That is something we will do every year as well. Um, we did, they did do one for us this past August, um, at the end of August, um, not even a month after she passed to help us with everything that we were going through. Um, and it's, we wanted to keep that going. So we will hold an annual motorcycle ride every year. And then we are in the talks of maybe doing golf tournaments. So all new and different, you know, do different things. Bowling, I've never seen. Um, I've, I've had a couple people talk to me about maybe cornhole tournaments, all that fun stuff. Well, it's, it, it, it's going to be um, a wonderful thing. You know, you, you, you're taking something that is so terrible and, turning it into something that's going to help others. And uh, every time you talk about it, honor is smiling at you. So, you know, you're communicating with her uh, probably at all times. You mentioned the Ronald McDonald house and how grateful to them uh, that you were. Can you talk about your experience there? You did say that you stayed there uh, at some point. Yeah. Um, obviously for her first, her first year of treatment, you know, when she would do the five, the five days inpatient, you know, we did have a son who's two. Um, and then we would stay there every, all that week at the Ronald McDonald house. And then when we lived there, uh, for seven weeks, when she went through radiation and we, they truly became family and a support system that we never knew, um, existed. And still to this day, I'm in contact with all of them who, you know, keep up on us and make us a part of their life that, they were a godsend for us. You know, it kept us together as a family through the hard times. We didn't have to be apart. Uh, you know, one of us didn't have to be an hour and a half away at home with our son while the other one was with her. Uh, so it, it was, it was good for us. You know, we were able to stay there and make sure we, we were together. And that place is the most amazing place I think I've ever come to know. It, it's quite a place. They offer so many, you know, great things to these families. You know, and you are certainly a prime example of that. Now, we we, we touched on Anna, and as I to- told you, her name to me is the giver. She only lived 12 years, but I'm wondering if you can share your thoughts on, on uh, I said Anna before, of course, it's Anna, on Anna the person and how she affected so many people. Anna had a light in her. And I know a lot of people probably say this about the children, but she just had, and I always joke with people. I said, when you meet Anna, she'll be shy at first. But the once she gets to know you, she'll open up and you will remember her. There's just something about her, her, her brightness, her smile. She, she was just always happy, always optimistic. She loved life. Everything excited her. Uh, you know, we could tell at an early age, she always cared for others. Um, 
her elementary school, when she was in school, they had something called a buddy bench. And what it was, was when they were out on recess, if you had no one to play with, you would sit on the buddy bench and it would tell others that you needed someone to play with. I had been told one time from her teacher that Anna made it her mission to guard that buddy bench. She didn't want anyone to have to sit on it and feel alone. And it just, it resonated. That is who she was. She, you know, was compassionate. She just loved to make others happy. And she was, she was just a light. There was just a light about her that was just unforgettable. And her laugh, you know, it, it resonated. She just had a laugh that could carry on and it stuck with you. And she, you know, when you got that deep bellow laugh out, you knew she was having the time of her life. And, you know, we, that's just who she was. I was watching one of the videos um, when I was doing the, you know, preparing for the podcast. And it was the one at the, at the middle school uh, during the walk and, and just showing the kids and, and the looks on their faces, you know, when they saw Anna and it, you could just tell, you could just tell that she was someone who the kids and everyone, I'm sure who, who else, um, you know, uh, had contact with her. She was, I, I think that the word light is a great example uh, of what she truly was. Here's a final question. What did uh, you learn and what did Robert learn from Anna? Anna taught me to be a better person. You know, she taught me to be humble. She taught me to know that there's always two sides, you know, not everything is black and white to, you know, you see someone hurting, you don't know their whole story, have compassion about whatever situation they're in. go, Go ahead. If you'd like to continue, that's fine. Of course. But if it's too hard, there's that's just, okay because I can fill. Yeah, I can there's, fill in the blanks. <laughs> there's can, just no words to what she has taught me. I I will fill in the blanks here because the one thing that that I will say, having not known her but but knowing her a lot more now, is that it's hard to believe that she was you know twelve years old, and yeah. she, had <laughs> she very she had a very old soul instinctively. Almost instinctively, although obviously you and Robert uh, uh, gave her great values, but she was able, you know, to to ig- not ignore, but move past at some point how she was feeling to treat others uh, in a great way, and that's something that uh, um, you you do hear you do hear it for whatever reason, from pediatric cancer uh, patients that they want to help others. And, and Anna is right up there with with the number of, uh, of families that have had children, um, you know, go through what she went through. Now, please tell people where they can get in touch with you. You're just starting the nonprofit. It's not like you've, it's been been around for, for, for many years. So she, you want people to really know about this, to be able to you know perhaps donate, to be able to help out, to be able to contribute uh, uh, in some way. So where's the best place um, to reach you? And is there anything specific right now that you're looking for, uh, for uh, from uh, the community in either Mohawk or, or, or wherever it is? 
So the best way, so I can, I do have um, email, jesslabella30 at gmail.com that I could be reached at at all times. And as well as my Facebook, um, we do have an honest, strong Facebook page, but as well, I have my main Facebook page, Jessica Labella, um, that they can message me. Um, we don't have any, anything as of right now in terms of like GoFundMe or fundraiser pages, but I do have Venmo and Cash App. Um, as of right now, I have it linked to a tax exempt account that we had started for her. That's not official 501c, but it is tax exempt. So it also goes in there. Uh, so we are just guidance. This is all new to me. I'm, you know, I, I, I don't know where to begin. I don't know where to start. You know, all I want to do is my main goal is, you know, not the legality of it. It's just to raise money to be there for families who are going through what I'm going through to help others to keep on his legacy going to make her proud that's all my main concern is everything else that's you know what we need a lawyer for and and from there I'm just hoping you know the community continues to support all of our our fundraising events um and just keep her name keep her name and her spirit and who she was and keep it going. Well, I can guarantee, I can guarantee that that's going to go on. As I had said before, as we come to the end of this podcast, you did tell me, as I recall, this was your first podcast. Is that correct? It is. It is. Okay. Now I have to tell you, first of all, I'm honored that you came on my show as, as an interview guest to do your first podcast and you did an outstanding job um, being able to, you know, again, it, it hasn't been six months. And uh, to be able to come on to talk about Anna, what she went through, what she's leaving behind, and in the future, what you're going to be doing to honor her. Uh, you did a beautiful job. And I certainly want to wish you and Robert and um, your son, his name, your younger son? Carter. Carter, okay. Uh, he, uh, I did see him peering over your shoulder during the podcast. Yeah. So, so he was involved. Um, but I want to wish you, obviously, the best of luck and uh, congratulations on on the, the starting of this nonprofit because it's going to be something that will take up a lot of time and a lot of passion from you and a lot of love from you and Robert or whoever else gets involved. And I want to wish you um, uh, great health and uh, to have a a uh, much better, hopefully, 2023 and years beyond uh, than you certainly had uh, from 2021 or to, uh, to 2022. Thank you. Okay. You, I, I really appreciate it. So okay. as long as, you know, we keep her name going, that's that's all I care about. Well, it's going to happen. Uh, try to have a good day. Thanks. Thank you so much. I mentioned on the podcast that many pediatric cancer patients seem to have an instinct which allows them to give back to others, even though they are many times not feeling well and are going through difficult treatment. And Anna is a prime example of that. I hope that Jessica has great success in officially making Anna's sunflower seeds a nonprofit as Anna smiles approvingly from up above. This is Mark Levine, and please tune in on Monday when I will speak with Rachel Walkup, who will talk about the Lighthouse Family Retreat, 
which brings together families whose children are battling pediatric cancer, but are concentrating on fun activities during these week-long retreats.